Welcome to the Small Baller Podcast. My name is Trevor Reddick, and as always, I'm joined by a man who might be a little cranky if he doesn't get enough sleep, Brandon Siegel. How you doing? Uh, I'm doing quite well. You know, that's a fact about me. Uh, ben, we've lived together for three years. You know this to be true. I like my sleep. I like getting as much of it as possible. Uh, you know, I love being in my bed. Yeah, you know, I think that's just kind of everyone, though. I don't think I'm weird, you know? Am I weird, Ben? What do you think? I, I mean, I would say that you get cranky about a lot of things, not just necessarily, you know, not no sleep. If you're, if you're hungry, you're cranky. If your sports teams are losing, you're cranky. You know, you're, you lose your phone for whatever reason, you're cranky. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons for you to be cranky. Um, so I'd, I'd say that you being cranky today is, is no surprise to Trevor or myself. You know, we've had we've had we've had a day here. You know, we we have a special little segment coming later that we recorded before this, so we're recording a little bit later than we normally do. Um, you guys will see that segment in like I don't know, fifteen minutes or something. Um, but we have a fun episode planned for today, as always. Um, not an enormous amount in small talk today. Uh, so the main thing we're gonna hit on is we're gonna hit on the MVP race in the NBA. Of course, we gotta go over for Trevor to start us off with that. Trevor, talk to us about the MVP race. Uh, so many players are hurt. Uh, you know, we got centers at the top of the MVP leaderboard. I feel like we haven't had that since maybe like Duncan was in the league. I don't know. What do you? What, what are your thoughts on the MVP race? Yeah, so the MVP race has been really interesting because, as you said, you know, we've had a lot of players get injured, you know, a lot of players resting. Uh, with this crazy season, so many back-to-backs the teams have been playing, it's definitely been uh, interesting because there's there have been a lot of players that have had great stretches, but it seems like there isn't really one that's been just, like, amazing all season. Like, I don't think we have, like, one historic season. I think Jokic is... He's close to that, and spoiler alert, he is my front runner right now. I would I would vote for him if I had a vote. He would be my guy. Uh, he's played in all 60 games. He's averaging about 27, 11, and 9, or something along those lines, shooting 57%. Uh, like I said, he's played in all 60 games for the Denver Nuggets, and now they're on a little bit of a run. You know, they are 39 and 21. They're the fourth seed in the West, um, which is actually the same record as the Philadelphia 76ers at 39-21, who are second in the East. So just interesting there, you know, if you want to try to make that Embiid-Jokic comparison. Um, And also, we saw Jamal Murray go down, which is unfortunate. But since then, the Nuggets are actually 5-1 with wins over the Miami Heat. Uh, They beat the Grizzlies in a double overtime game where I think Jokic had like 47-15-8, just like insane numbers that we don't you don't see too often um and i think their only loss was to the warriors who with steph curry's stretch um recently um that you know that was really the main reason they lost there and to you know i guess that perfectly leads into steph curry who people are now talking about like oh could steph could he get in here and could he steal this thing from Jokic? and i think on that front i think it's too late i think you know, with the way he started the season, um, which was not bad by any stretch. It was just kind of like a typical, you know, what we would typically see from Steph Curry, you know. Um, the team wasn't nearly as good. I think the team has improved a little bit because he's just kind of putting them on his back and, and they're just like, um, you know. In some games, they'll get something from Wiggins. They'll get a little bit here from Draymond, but Draymond doesn't play it in every game. So it's been tough, but... Steph Curry has gotten the Warriors to a 500 position. They're 30 and 30 currently, which makes them the 10 seed in the West, which would be in the playing game. But that just makes it tougher for Steph, even though he has been having this insane stretch to the likes that 
really, you know, in a month we haven't really seen in a while. Like we've seen Harden put up insane like scoring numbers in stretches. We see we saw Kobe back in 06 when he averaged I think 35 a game, have like some insane stretches, but what Steph Curry is doing, I think just this singular stretch that he's putting together this last month or so is probably better than any stretch that I think like any month stretch that Jokic has had and Bede has had. However, that does not uh, you know, take him all the way to the top. So right now, as it stands, we have about, you know, 12 or so games left. We're getting near the end. And, you know, typically voters, I, I know I've heard different podcasts like Bill Simmons and, you know, Zach Lowe, some other guys who have votes, they usually have to submit a top five. So I have created a top five um, that's, it's really tough, but I'll just give you my top five quickly. And then I want to hear some thoughts uh, from you guys. So I currently have uh, Nicole Jokic at number one. Like I said, I already ran down the numbers, so I, I could just skip that. I have Giannis at two. I think Giannis has been a little overshadowed. Um, he hasn't played every game, but he's played 50, which is still nine more than Embiid at 41. He's putting up pretty similar numbers. We know uh, the two-way player Giannis is, and the Bucks are only a game and a half back from uh, the 76ers. They've kind of went under the radar. So he's been very good once again, but you know, people aren't going to vote for him again for a third time. But I think he's second. I have Embiid at third because just his insane numbers about 30 and 11, which are just incredible, very efficient, great defender, but he's only played 41 games. So he, he's third. I have Steph at fourth now. I put him over Dame, over Harden, who has missed some games. And then I do have Damian Lord at five. It was tough between him and Luka. Luka, I think, is right there as well just because of his performances. But I still have Dame because of, you know, earlier in the season with how he was just kind of in the clutch, really lifting his team to victory when they didn't have CJ McCollum um, and Nurkic. So I want to get some of your thoughts. Uh, ben, I'll go to your go to you first. What, what do you think about the MVP race? And um, do, do you think Jokic is uh, the guy, the front runner right now? Yeah, I mean, I I can't argue with, with Jokic being the front runner. Again, he's had a phenomenal year, and we know he's a phenomenal player. Um, when we, we had this discussion maybe a month ago, and I said that Embiid at this at that point I I think Embiid would probably be number one if I had to pick now I, I would probably agree with you Trevor I'd probably have to lean more towards Jokic because Embiid's had some health issues recently he's still having a great year but I will say I think you made a really good point in your list when you said that they're not going to vote for Giannis for a third year in a row um, or whatever it would be and that's a good point Trevor because you're right and I think it's pretty clear uh, anybody that watches basketball knows that it I mean it could be LeBron every year not this year but Every year it could be LeBron. So I do think you made a really good point about how Giannis could have a great year, but if somebody else is having their best year of their career, Giannis just isn't going to win just based on the nature of how um, this award works because you're just people don't want to see the same player every year. So I, I just think Giannis has more of an uphill battle than somebody like Jokic or even Embiid does. I will say, though, Trevor, I have two names I want to point out. One you talked about, one you, I don't think you talked about. First, Steph Curry. I, I, I got to put Steph Curry on that list. I mean, again, I agree with you. I think... He's coming in hot late, and maybe if it's you know a full-season award, maybe it's a little too late. But, I mean, this dude's averaging like 40 points in his last like 10, 11 games. Um, I mean, he's averaging like 31 points for the season, so he's having a phenomenal year, and I get it. He's Steph Curry. We expect stuff like this out of him. But, I mean, he's kind of single-handedly putting his team on his back, and, I mean, he's the sole reason why they're a 500 team without him. I don't think they'd be anywhere close to a 500 team. And, yes, they have good players. I'm not saying they don't have good players. They still have Draymond, and they have James Wiseman as a rookie. Um, but I do think you have to acknowledge Steph Curry, which you accurately did. Um, you do have to acknowledge that he is now in this conversation just based on the hot streak that he's been on. Another name, real quickly, I just wanted to mention. 
I don't think he should win, but I do think that he deserves the respect of at least mentioning him in this conversation, and that's Chris Paul. Again, I don't think that he should win the MVP, but I do think that he is having a phenomenal year. I mean, look at him. He's got the Phoenix Suns with the second-best record in the NBA. I mean, that's just insane to think about. If I would have told you before this season started that even with Chris Paul and Devin Booker that they would have the second-best record in the NBA, I I would have told you there's no way I wouldn't have believed you. So the fact that he's got his team rolling right now in the Western Conference, you got to give Chris Paul some sort of credit. Again, I don't think he should win it, but I do think he deserves the respect of the type of player he is and the career that he's had and the season that he's had more specifically to be in this conversation. So I just had to throw out Chris Paul into this into this conversation that we're having about MVP and best players in basketball at the moment. Yeah, I think Chris Paul's definitely a name that should be mentioned. I mean, and you could look at the numbers. The numbers aren't all that great, but compared to some of these other guys, but with Chris Paul, he's one of those players where it's really hard to explain like the effect he has on the team and his leadership, but he just does. And the way we've seen that, like he went to the Thunder, they became good. Now he's come to Phoenix, they became good. Like it's just hard to put that into words, but he's definitely uh, should be mentioned. I think another name is Julius Randle, which it's interesting to see his growth, how he's progressed with the Knicks, who right now, if I look at the standings, are 34 and 27. Uh, the New York Knicks are 34 and 27. They're the four seed. And uh, Randle, um, obviously, I believe this is his seventh year. He's played in 60 games, which I think is uh, all but one of them. And he's put up some incredible numbers. Obviously, he was an all-star this year. So he's just another name. I didn't put him in my top five, but he's he's up there. He's, he's close. Um, what about you, Brandon? Uh, any, any thoughts on the MVP race? Are you surprised at um, any of the names I put in my top five? Or maybe someone that you would include that hasn't been mentioned yet? Yeah, you didn't put LeBron at one, which I have a big issue with. <laughs> of course. Uh, <laughs> of course. But in all seriousness, look, we have two centers that are really high up in this MVP race, and I think most people would put Jokic and Embiid probably at one and two. I'm, I'm not necessarily disagreeing with your list. I'm just saying what most people probably would do. Um, and we haven't had a center win uh, the MVP since Shaq did in 2000. So, you know, it's going to be very interesting to see if, if one of them do win, which it seems like if Jokic plays out all these games... And, you know, doesn't get hurt. It seems like he, without a doubt, will be uh, probably the MVP at the end of the season. Um, but saying that, you know, it, it's just amazing to see this accomplishment of centers in today's league, uh, two of them, dominating the MVP polling. Now, again, uh, you know, I, I, I would like LeBron to be up there. And I think if LeBron did play all the games, he, he would definitely be more in the conversation. But Ben makes a great point about Chris Paul. Uh, you know, someone who is super valuable to the team. Takeaway stats is actually what, quite literally what the award would mean. Most valuable player. Chris Paul and his sons. I mean, that's what a great story they've had. And Chris Paul's been such a great addition to that team. Uh, you know, obviously, it's a statistical award, so he shouldn't be put up there. But, you know, huge props to Chris Paul, which I know we've talked about many times on this podcast. Trevor, final thoughts before we go to randomly ranked for today. No, I think you can even, like you said, because with the best teams, you know, you got to pick someone. I think with the Suns, it's like, to me, it's who you, who do you pick between him and Booker? Because I think it's 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 really a good debate. A lot of people are yeah. leaning Paul. I'm I'm not so sure. I think they're both in it. And then even if you want to say Utah, who has the best record, um, Mitchell has at least some case. You know, he's had some stretches where he hasn't been quite as good, where his teammates have picked up the slack. But at least just with their record, he's the best player on that team. I think he should be mentioned. Yeah, hundred percent. I I agree. I agree with you. Let's move on to randomly ranked where we have a fun one uh, that actually was. Come up by uh, the 12th row podcast co-host Josh Baskin, um, who, this is a pretty good one, I feel like. I, I, I feel pretty passionately about my top three in this subject. It is top three favorite fruit snacks. 
Um, and you know, I, I, I think, you know, I'm going to go first for today. I, I'm going to, I'm going to slide and go first for today. My top three, number three, I got to go with Welch's fruit snacks. I think these are just like a solid one. They aren't like fabulous in any sort. Um, but they're, they're really, really solid, definitely above average. You know, I'm not reaching for them over the, the top two ones. The top two ones are definitely the top two. It's not even close. Um, but the Welch's fruit snacks, super, super solid one. Number two, I got to go with the Scooby-Doo fruit snacks from Betty Crocker. Betty Crocker makes the best fruit snacks. It just hands down. It's not even close. And the Scooby-Doo ones are the modern day number ones. The number ones are the top fruit snacks I've ever had. They don't exist anymore. If anyone can find their hands on these fruit snacks, we got to get them in our hands and try them like live on stream or on the podcast. But number one is Shark Bite gummies. Betty Crocker old fruit snack. These are the best I have ever had. They are so fabulous. Um, and I wish they were still making them, but they take the that cake, I guess, at number one. Trevor, what is your top three favorite fruit snack? Well, very interesting uh, list. <laughs> you know, my, mine's going to be a little boring, and you'll see why. Uh, number three, I put the shark bites, so I agree with you. They're very good. Um, I, you know, I don't know. I, I don't have a ton of strong opinions about fruit snacks. I think they're all pretty good for the most part. I, I've yet to I, – I don't know if there's, like – I don't. I can't think of a bad fruit snack to be honest with you. I think they're pretty much all really good. But that's my number three. Number two, I went with Welch's. I agree with you. Very flavorful. Uh, just, just so good. Obviously, you know, with the fruit shapes. And then number one, I put the Scooby Doo fruit snacks. I mean, there are other, uh, there are other fruit snacks. I think there was like Barbie ones and maybe SpongeBob ones, which I think are made by the same. Uh, I think the same company. So like they all taste very similar, but the Scooby-Doo ones are the ones that I always wanted as a kid. They were the ones like, I, I obviously liked Scooby-Doo a lot. So I wanted those ones specifically. So it's, it's almost like, yes, they taste very similar to like the Barbie ones and Sp- SpongeBob, whatever other, I don't know. There was a bunch of other shows and stuff that they had the similar ones, but those are my number one. Ben, top three favorite fruit snacks. Yeah, so again, there's a lot of good ones, and Trevor, you made a good point. I mean, like I'll like most of them, and there's plenty of brands that I left off, or plenty of ones that that deserve honorable mentions. I'm just not going to go into it because there's a lot of them, but most of them are good. Um, my number three, I had to go with Black Forest Juicy Burst Fruit Snacks. Um, they're kind of like Gushers, where they have they have like a liquid in the middle. Um, so I mean, it's just it's it's nice to have. The thing is though, they can get messy if you spill that that sticky juice um, on you. It, it can get a little messy. But it's kind of like a gusher, you know. You you bite it, and it, there's there's some some free liquid, sugary liquid inside of it. Um, so shout out to Black Forest. I had to put those at number three. My number two, and I I love these, and I I have I'd say stronger memories of these fruit snacks than even the one I put at number one. Um, but I just the ones at number one are better, but these ones I feel like I've had more of throughout my childhood, and that's the Kellogg's fruity snacks. Um, what my mom used to do is at Costco, she used to buy them and basically they come, they come in like three different flavors and you have a pack of strawberry, you have a pack of cherry and you have a pack of mixed berry and the mixed berry ones were so good. Cause you have like, it was like three flavors of like, um, blueberry, strawberry, and like a raspberry and just such good fruit snacks. Shout out to Kellogg's. Their fruity snacks are so good. If you know, you know, I, plenty of people have had them. If, if you were to look them up, I'm sure, um, people listening to this have heard of them because they're just so phenomenal. They're so good. Um, but again, I, I couldn't put them at number one because I had to put Scooby Snacks at number one. Um, all, all three of us would agree because even Brandon, his number one's not in circulation. So technically, I guess Scooby Snacks would yeah, be Scooby his number one. Yeah, Scooby Snacks are the one in circulation. In circulation. Yes. So, I mean, it's boring. It's not even close. We all three agree that they're so good. But um, I, I'd say most people, if you just 
say the word Scooby Snacks, obviously, like, it's a fictional thing on the TV show Scooby-Doo, but pretty much everyone's going to know what you're referring to if you say Scooby Snacks, and it's those those fruit snacks, those Scooby-Doo fruit snacks. They're just so good. They're, they're so universally loved by all of us that I, I really – I don't feel bad being a, being boring and putting it at number one like Trevor did and like essentially you did, Brandon, because they're just they're just the best. I mean, they're just they're such high quality, and really I, I, I would have a hard time believing anybody if they said they didn't like them. 100%. 100%. So that was Randomly Ranked. If you have any ideas for Randomly Ranked, please tweet at us. The link is in the description or go to Twitter. Look up at the small baller. Just send us a little tweet. But for the next segment of this podcast, we have a very unique one. We've never done this before. And I'm going to let Trevor introduce the, the segment here. Yeah, absolutely. So if you follow sports at all, even if you don't follow soccer, you have seen this story. It's the European Super League. And, you know, we couldn't just sit here as three people who don't really follow it as much as uh, this individual does. So we had Josh Baskin, of course, a fabulous guest, to talk about the Super League. And we're going to go to that interview now. And now we have a very special guest for you. He is the host of the 12th Row Podcast. He's one of the brightest minds that I personally know in the beautiful game of soccer. And he is here to talk about the Super League today. His name is Josh Baskin. Josh, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, Trevor. You know, I'm I'm happy to be back on the the Small Baller podcast. You know, I think the last time I was on Brandon was uh for your winter special or maybe one after that if you can remember all that time ago. I think I think you were on one after. I don't I don't completely remember, but we did do the holiday special, which that to date is one of our most listened to episodes. I'd like that point out. So, the listeners love you, Josh. Listen. It's just a fact at this point. I mean, Ben loves me, Trevor loves me. I think you're the only one that might not. <laughs> Josh, I, I love having you on the pod, as always. I mean, look at look at you now. Look at you now. You now have your own podcast, the 12th Row Podcast, which I, I know has been going great with Will. Um, and, you know, we're excited to have you on to talk about, because there's, there's been a lot of drama in the soccer world over the past week and a half, two weeks. Yeah. Uh, with the Super League. So, here's the thing, Josh. Not the three of us here, we know a little bit about soccer, but we're not, you know, we're not at your level or even half of it. And we have a lot of listeners that are probably very interested in this huge, you know, worldly news. So can you break down what is the Super League and how was it formed? Yeah, real quick, though, uh, I do have a bone to pick with with Brandon and Trevor. I've I've been hearing some of these randomly ranks recently, uh, you know, with like the Dark Knight not being in like the number one, uh, someone not liking someone not liking Reese's. I've got to get on the pod soon and and let the listeners know what's up with randomly ranked. But no, in all seriousness. So for those of you that don't know, and I know you guys don't know a, a whole lot. Uh, the Super League is basically this league that was created by the owners of 12 teams around Europe. Now, it is uh, its own unsanctioned league, so it's going against UEFA, UEFA, which is where uh, the Champions League is, and, and it's all of Europe. Um, but basically, the 12 teams, there's six in England, Manchester United, Manchester City, Liverpool, Arsenal, Tottenham, and Chelsea. There's three from the Italian League, or Serie A, AC Milan, Inter Milan, and Juventus. And there's three from La Liga, or in Spain, Real Madrid, FC Barcelona, and Atletico Madrid. Now, the owner of this unsanctioned league, or CEO, is Fiorentino Perez. He is the owner of Real Madrid. And basically, this league is essentially to bring in a boatload of money. Now... Obviously, with what's happened with COVID, it's been very unfortunate, uh, and that it is what it is in that sense, unfortunately. 
A lot of teams have lost money, and, and that's everywhere. You know, with no fans, no ticket sales, right. all everything you could think of that brings in money to a team, mm -hmm. they're not getting it. Now, what this uh, Super League essentially does is it keeps these 12 teams, uh, and there was actually uh, supposed to be 15 founding teams. In Germany, uh, the two top teams, Bayern Munich and Borussia Dortmund, were invited, and in France, PSG. Brandon, I know you you know, you know love PSG. That's your team. Uh, of course. They were also invited. However, those three teams declined as being part of the quote-unquote 15 founding teams. And every year, based off of uh, teams' performances, five other teams would be added in. So, for example, there's a team in Portugal, FC Porto, that could be invited. Another German team, RB Salzburg, can be invited, so on and so forth. But basically, this league is to keep those 12 at the top and make boatloads of money. Essentially, if they win the uh, Champions League, they get around 100 to 200 million uh, pounds. But with this Super League, it would basically be bringing in more than 300 million per year just for being in this league. Um, and when, when this news broke... Uh, it did not go down well whatsoever. Um, Brandon, you texted me last Sunday to the day at about 11 o'clock. We were actually on a phone call for a minute. Within an hour, uh, all of this news broke after. And I heard some murmurings of talk about this league for the past year. Nothing really has came up to where it has now. But basically, it's to keep these 12 teams, or essentially 15, like I said, air quotes, uh, in their own league, they would all play against each other, and it's like uh, you know marketed as the best versus the best, and it it wasn't very well taken. Obviously, I don't know if you guys right. have seen on social media. There's been a lot and a lot of of hate and a lot of backlash against it, and we'll get into that in a minute. But basically, it's so that these twelve or fifteen teams can, like I said, they can stay in their own league, make all this money. Because, you know, they lost a ton during COVID. And to them and the owners, Fiorentino Perez, and it's all the owners of the league, of the teams, by the way. It's not like with Manchester United, their manager and players knew about this. This is something that was just owner-driven. And that's part of why this was not taken exceptionally well. Um, but like I said, these teams would stay at the top. So They'd have no... So what's also important is that they would also not be relegated or anything. They would always be in this league, mm -hmm. no repercussion. And that's kind of the basis. They're there to make a ton of money, stay at the top. And their, you know, uh, explanation is that it would also grow everyone else in the game. And that's kind of just the beginning gist of it. So, Josh, here's a, let's keep on walking through the timeline because everything that you talked about, we learned about within a day. And then the next day, there was a vastly different story. We had teams pulling out. Um, and I think this speaks to how great of a sport in the fan base soccer has around the world because this was a direct reaction from the fans. So can you walk us through kind of what happened in basically the 24 hours after that Sunday yeah. night? I mean, we, we had teams pulling out right yeah, after. Yeah, it was uh, – I'm going to correct you just a little bit, not uh, not, okay. not being too rude. It was about 48 hours. Now, there's a, a – 48 hours. I kind Still really soon after. Right. Still really soon. I kind of yeah. gave you part A of the Super League. And by the way uh, – like I said, Trevor introduced me. I am the host, co-host of the 12th Row Podcast. 
the episode that is going to be released shortly, Will and I talked on the Super League for about 50 minutes. Mm-hmm. So Everyone if, should go if you want to listen, if you want to go listen to that, once Brandon edits it <laughs> and uh, and we get it out, we will we out. will definitely be sharing that, and you guys can take a listen. But how Will and I broke it down, we broke it down into three different groups: A, B, and C. I kind of gave you part A, uh, a, saw a quick you know a spark notes of part A. I'll go into part yeah. B, and you're kind of talking about part C. Part B. Okay. Now we had a lot of uh, commentators uh, and analysts and pundits. Fans, players, all kind of speaking out and and to the, you know reacting to what the the news was of this. Like I said, a lot of these teams didn't even inform their coaches, staff, or players that this was happening. In Manchester United's case, what was what was really poor about this was that I am a Manchester United fan. I'm a diehard. I've been watching since second grade. Manchester United. That's how they became my team. They wore red, and I saw red on the TV, and I said Manchester United. To put this in perspective, Brandon and, and Ben and Trevor, you know, you guys are very familiar, obviously, with the MLB, NFL, all American sports. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm sure you guys are familiar with whenever news breaks, it is leaked on Twitter and eventually, or social media, and then eventually there will be a big headline on ESPN or Sports Center right. or Bleacher Report. Wherever you find your news for sports, you'll see it within, you know, an hour or so. Or, you know, uh, there's obviously different situations where. A rumor could happen one day, and then a few days later, it, it, it comes true, especially with those Woj bombs. I, I know I really, you know, I turn on his notifications during that time. But as a Manchester United fan, I had to go to their app, open their app, log in, and then find a club statement that they were joining this league. Now, to put that in perspective, the fact that a team like Manchester United, a global team that touches everywhere in the world, and to have them not even put out their own, like, tweet or you know, minute long, you know, I don't know, uh, interview or whatever. The fact that I had to go find this information on my own is something that was, you know, pretty damaging and something that a lot of these teams did. Not many teams really came out and said anything. They kind of wanted to just brush it under the rug. A lot of this news broke, actually, when in the UK time, it would be around midnight, 1 a.m. And it was kind of shady to where, like I said, they were trying to just sweep it under the rug, not get as many eyes on it. But in the soccer world, that's not going to happen. So that was kind of an example of one big thing as to how this is being treated. And that's why fans are not taking to this exceptionally well either. But some things that I'm missing out on, with these teams that are joining the Super League, guys, the, uh, UEFA came out, uh, Seferin, the, the UEFA president, went uh, right at the throat of these teams. They said, you will not be able to compete in your domestic league, which means all the English teams couldn't compete possibly in the Premier League, the teams in Spain couldn't compete in their league, and the teams in Italy couldn't compete in their league. And for your guys' perspective, imagine you taking the best six teams in the NFL and just throwing them out. You know, uh, Raven, you know, know, I don't know who your six best team, I was going to start with the Ravens just to give Brandon a little credit. They're they're number one. You did it right. No, no, you did it right. You did it right, Josh. Good job. They are their number one. Or even like the six most popular teams of the past 100 years. Makes sense. You know, right now, Arsenal and Tottenham are in like seventh, eighth, ninth place in the Premier League. They're more so a past and a history type team. And Right now, they're not obviously as great. So, you know, Trevor, you could throw your Patriots in there because they've been such a historic team for uh, so long. You don't need long. to do that. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you know, don't need to do you, that. Right. You guys get the gist. It's like take – or if you go to the NBA, it's like the Lakers, the Nets, 
Yeah. Uh, the Clippers well, also taking Spurs. Right. Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Or essentially the most successful over the past, I'd say, a hundred years, yeah. just yep. throwing them yeah. out. And that's kind of what this would be like as well. That they were threat. That UEFA and the president were threatening these teams with. But not only that, there was also uh, going to be a threat that if you were a part of the Super League team, you were not able to represent your country. So with these best twelve teams. Imagine Ronaldo not being able to play for Portugal in a World Cup. Messi not playing for Argentina. Uh, Neymar not playing for Brazil. That's the kind of impact that this Super League was having. And not only that, they weren't going to be able to play in the Champions League because it's like, okay, you're forming your own league. Why would we want you in our league? So UEFA was, right in my opinion, spot on and getting out a lot of good information and saying that these teams that are in the Super League, you're not part of us anymore. You're not even going to be part of your league. And you're not even going to be able to represent your nation. And, it, you know, that's like, you know, obviously in, in American sports, like I've been mentioning, to try and relate it to a lot of the listeners and you guys. It's like LeBron and every NBA player you can think of not being able to play for Team USA if you're part of the, one of those six teams. You know, it's it, it almost ruins the value of the World Cup or the FIBA championship or the Olympics, whatever it may be. Now, in soccer, the Olympics isn't great because everyone has to be under 23 except for five players. It would essentially make the World Cup irrelevant and on the same level as the Olympics, which in this case would be ruining the game. And a big thing with the Super League 2 is it's ruining the morality of the game. No repercussions for these 12 teams or 15 teams that are joining. No relegation. You know, if you finish in the bottom three, Normally in England, you go down to the lower division. There's no repercussion, and it's hurting the morality and the value of what a club and, and sports really is. So that's also the second half to this argument and why fans were so upset is because they weren't going to be able to see their favorite players possibly even play on the world stage in their own right. league. Yeah. And it's also ruining the morality of the game. Now, I want to tangent off a little bit here. Um, a big example of why these owners want this Super League to happen is because of pretty much one example. Uh, I know Brandon and Trevor might be a little familiar. Ben, I don't know if you are, but there's this team in England called Leicester City. Are you guys familiar with Leicester City or even heard of them? Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Leicester City was a team that got promoted in 2015 from the championship. So if you finish first or second in the second league in England, you automatically get promoted to the Premier League. If your team is in third, fourth, fifth, sixth, you go to a playoff, uh, and then you have to win a semifinal and win the final, and your team gets promoted. So it's kind of like the sixth-place team if you finish in the league in the championship or the second league of England. If you win two games, you can get promoted to the Premier League, which is a really cool concept. Now, Leicester were at the bottom in 20th place by Christmas time, their first year in the league, and they went on this remarkable run where they, you know, they scrapped out a few games. They won seven out of their last nine games to what was called one of the great escapes uh, of England. And the next year, as you may have heard, they were 5,000 to 1 odds to win the Premier League, and they wound up winning the whole league. 5,000 to 1 odds. I know Tom Hanks put a bet on it, won a boatload of money. This is arguably the craziest story in soccer history. I have a book about it. And essentially... Right after Leicester City won the league, they get you know they get automatic qualification to the to the Champions League, which brings in a ton of money with uh, you know revenue, extra games, TV rights, all the stuff you can think of. Um, 
And basically, ever since then, five years ago, they've gotten good players, they've gotten a lot of money, and a lot of their high-valued players, they sold for boatloads of money. I'll give you a few examples. One of their players, Riyad Mahrez, he's from Algeria. He cost $400,000. They later sold him to Manchester City for more than $50 million. They bought a player, Harry Maguire, from Hull City for around $5 million. They sold him to Manchester United two, you know, about a year and a half, two years ago, to $80 million. They recently, with this money, have built a new training facility worth over $200 million. And Leicester City is basically what Super League teams don't want and these owners don't want because it's taken away, quote-unquote, their money, their sponsorships. But in reality... It's Leicester City having a good club structure, a good owner, a good team uh, manager, and using the best with their money. I don't know if you guys Mm -hmm. can think of a a lower league team in any American sport that works with what they've got, and they rise to the occasion, Uh, like a small market team. It's tough to compare. Right. It's tough to compare, because there's no relegation and stuff like that. Right. In, you know, major American It's more so... the best comparison... The best comparison would be like cod football, like a Boise State or an Appalachian exactly, State. Exactly, exactly. Have really built their program up, gotten more money I'd donated even, I, to them it, because they've been good. It's yeah. more so like a Minnesota. You know, they weren't that great for a while, but now they have a, a PJ Fleck and a great head coach. They, you know, top ten in the nation. It's like their coach yeah. is gonna want to. You know, a lot of teams are in for their coach now for boatloads of money, and they get good recruits. It's basically because they had one or two good years of growth. Uh, not essentially winning the Big Ten. Obvi- obviously, we can tell you all, uh, except for Brandon, who wins the Big Ten. Uh, sorry about that. But, you know, it's kind of in the same breath of where Leicester has a good club structure, good team structure, and they make the best of what's given to them, and they and they use their money smartly. Brandon, I know we talk about, or you talk about a lot on the podcast about, oh, I wouldn't pay this player that much, X, Y, Z. That's what they do. They They make the most of their resources, and they profit from it. And teams like Leicester City... That's what the owners and super team or super league teams are afraid of. Because like I said, Leicester, ever since they've won the league, they've been in the top five for Champions League or top six for European soccer. Right now, they're well ahead of Tottenham Hotspur, uh, Liverpool even, and Arsenal in the leagues come, you know, ever since. And so that's kind of what um, has been happening and why a lot of right. fans have been kind of coming together, bonding together, saying... I don't care if you're a Manchester United fan, Liverpool fan, Arsenal fan. We're all coming together. We want these owners out. They've been wasting money. And we want more Leicester City stories to happen. Because Leicester City is what yeah. the morality and the, the you know ideal soccer team is. You get behind your team. You support them day in, day out. You might not mm-hmm. be the biggest fish in the pond, but you work your way up. And that's what Leicester have done. And so that's right. kind of what a lot of the soccer world is like right now just kind of bonding together linking up and trying to get these owners out for damaging their club's reputation really yeah so josh um obviously now we've kind of seen this thing has started to fall apart obviously we've had the six clubs from england they've all withdrawn um and you know we've seen like real madrid president florentino perez who is kind of this chairman he still kind of isn't really giving this up fully um one of his quotes was he thought this competition was set up to save football which to me seems like the opposite of what it is to me it's like trying to like destroy it like because as you mentioned and you answered a lot of my questions i was like 
oh, I have this question <laughs> that I want to ask, and then you just answered it, like, a minute later. Like, for example, like... It's like you know. Yeah, he knows. <laughs> you know? It's, like, subconscious. Well, what's but, funny like, is I don't know your questions, but... <laughs> <laughs> but you answer them. The soccer encyclopedia knows Like, because one you know. of them, as you said... Like, now the UEFA is like, well, you can't compete in your domestic league. So it's like, now we have the Premier League, if this would have happened, which now it looks like it's not going to, we have the Premier League mm-hmm. without Man United, Man City, Arsenal. It's like, you can't have the, the Premier League without those teams. It's really going to suffer. So right. that sucks. And then also, it's like, you know, there's no way that fans were not going to, like, you know, like push a backlash on this like they just didn't have any foresight in my opinion that's kind of how i guess how i see it do you kind of see it the same way like the yeah. owners really it's were just, just blinded by money. yeah they were blinded yeah, by money that's what i it's think. be you know you made a few good good statements there trevor uh, one of the first things i'll touch on is it's because when the the biggest pockets get empty it scares them you know what i mean these owners when it comes to their pockets they want to make as much money as possible the owner of manchester united didn't know the offsides rule until two years ago. How can you be an owner? What? How can you be an owner of a Premier League club, soccer in general, and just not know like some of the rules? That's like me owning like an NHL team, and I don't know what what icing is. I, I really don't. It's it's the same breath, <laughs> and it's because these owners don't care about the the club or not. I don't want to say that necessarily. They don't care about much unless it's their pockets being filled, right? And, and and that's why what's important here is that I said at the very beginning, it's owner run. No head coach knew about this. No players knew about this. I don't know if you guys have seen Jurgen Klopp, the manager of Liverpool, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, the manager of Manchester United, Pep Guardiola, the manager of Man City. They, everyone is against this because they know it's hurting the game. Now, you touched on a good thing, Trevor. It's like all these teams wouldn't be able to compete in their league. Not only that... The Champions League would be filled with not bad teams, but without the best of the best. Right. It's it's not the it's not the Champions League. You know. Right. It's like Everton, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Burnley, uh, you know, Crystal Palace. And then if you go to Spain, it's like Real Betis, Valencia, Villarreal. Like these teams are okay, good teams in, in Europa League, the second division essentially of Champions League. If you finish fifth, sixth in your league, you get to go to this uh, competition. Um, and if you also get knocked out of the group stage of the Champions League, you're the bottom two teams actually get dropped down into this Europa League. That's why teams like Manchester United are still in it right now. But it's like the Champions League wouldn't be as marketable anyway because not the best of the best are in it, like you guys said. And to wrap it up, like I said, it's just because these owners' pockets aren't getting full, and they're nervous about that. But here's the thing, Trevor. You know, we've mentioned Fiorentino Perez, the, the owner of Real Madrid. He just built a $500 million, He's in the process of building a $500 million stadium. He pays all of his players obscene wages. He signs all these players for boatloads of money. And that's the difference between a Real Madrid and a Leicester City. Yes, Real Madrid might have more success, but Leicester isn't bankrupt. Leicester isn't, well, not, I don't want to say bankrupt, but Leicester isn't losing as much money because they have to pay their players these insane wages. They're not spending $500 million on a new stadium. They spent $200 million on a training facility to get their competition and players better. So that's also the, the difference here as well. Yeah, Josh, I think that's a really good point. You know, I think to sum it up, it's really just a crazy story. I mean, it's hit all across the country, you know, even people who don't really follow soccer are hearing about it. So it's it's good to have you come on and explain it. Um, are there any final points that you'd like to mention uh, before we get out of here? Yeah. 
Yeah, real quick, you know, part C I'll, I'll make really quickly. Essentially, all, a lot of the fans were going to these teams' stadiums because Premier League was still going on this week. And they were, like I said, they were all kind of bonding together, linking arms, you know, having flares, signs, and they really were pushing for this to not happen. Eventually, Chelsea and Man City were the first kind of two teams to break the news that they were going to start getting the documents ready to withdraw. And essentially, all six teams in the pre- English Premier League, you know, they all, uh, you know, follow or the other four teams followed in Chelsea and Man City's footsteps. They withdrew. And now a lot of other teams like Atletico Madrid, Barcelona uh, have already withdrawn. And basically, the league is now suspended. Um, but Fiorentina, Paris still isn't really backing down. Uh, I will say, though, uh, if this were to happen, if it does happen or whenever this will happen, it will, A, be a lot better ran, uh, like, market-wise, that it won't just be broken, you know, random news throughout a weekend. Uh, there will be a lot more thought behind it. And one thing I wanted to mention, too, Trevor, that you were talking about in the last segment uh, is that, you know, with with these teams that are, you know, joining this league, their their reputation and, and their legacies kind of have to going to be built back up. So that's kind of what's happening now is clubs are going to try and make the right steps, smarter steps to kind of get, you know, get back to where they were about two weeks before this was really happening. And you've seen even the owner uh, of Manchester United resign until the end of the year because of the, the pressure he's been getting. Uh, two of the players actually walked into his office and pretty much pressured him and asked him, hey, what the what the heck are you doing? You're ruining this. Uh, and, and it's going to be a lot smarter of a structure if it were to come out eventually. But right now it is suspended. And it, it is good for football that it is suspended and, and we're continuing on with our regularly, regularly scheduled program, as you could say. So that's all <laughs> I've got. Yeah, definitely. It's definitely good to see uh, kind of the, the fans and the players especially really putting pressure on, you know, some of these owners. But I think, you know, we'll leave it there. Obviously, I know you guys went even more into depth into this, you and uh, Will on the 12th Road podcast. So that'll be released uh, coming up this week. Um, so definitely, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're curious to learn more, definitely go listen to that podcast. Um, but now we will get back to uh, the Small Baller podcast. All right, and that was our interview with Josh Baskind. I hope you enjoyed it. Um, If you wanted to learn about more details, you can obviously go and listen to the 12th Row podcast, where I believe he said they went into it for like an hour and a half, something like that. Is is that what he said, Brandon? I think they did an hour and a half long podcast, but they went into the Super League for like an hour of it. Oh, okay. Gotcha. That'll be up soon. That'll be up soon. So so definitely go... Go listen to that pod with uh, Josh and Will because they do a fabulous job over there at the Twelfth Row Podcast. Um, but let's let's move to the last segment of our podcast today, which is going to be um, the NFL Draft Week. The NFL Draft this coming week on Thursdays, the first round. Um, it is literally my favorite time of the year. I am so so excited about the NFL Draft. I I love everything it has to offer. It's one of my favorite sporting events of the year, maybe besides the Super Bowl. Um, it, it's definitely up there, and of course, you know. COVID sucks for many of us, and this is definitely not the worst thing that's happened because of COVID, but the one year it's in Cleveland where I would have had an opportunity to go, we cannot because of COVID. Um, So that's upsetting. But let's get into some NFL draft topics, and I think we should start off with who our teams, you know, who we want our teams to draft. Um, So Ben, we've talked about the Bengals a lot recently. I want to know who do you want them to draft? Yeah, so it's interesting because obviously 
and I'm not here's here's my thing is I'm very aware of the Bengals. Unlike Browns fans, I have awareness that outside of Cincinnati, not a lot of people like the Bengals. They're just not. They're not the Patriots. They're not this big market team. Um, shout out to Browns fans because Browns fans think that everybody should like the Browns, and in reality, nobody likes the Browns outside of Cleveland um, or Ohio in general. So I, I have I have an awareness that that people don't necessarily love the Bengals. They don't necessarily care, but I do think the Bengals are in an interesting situation because at least three teams in front of them, they're sitting five, so at least three teams in front of them are going to pick a quarterback. We know that, right? We, yeah. we know that the Jags are going to pick a quarterback, the Jets are going to pick a quarterback, and the 49ers are going to pick a quarterback. Maybe even the Falcons at four are going to pick a quarterback. So the Bengals are potentially in a spot where they have the option of the best non-quarterback in this draft. Um, and in the last week, couple weeks, basically it's come down to either going to pick Penny Sewell from Oregon, the stud offensive tackle that didn't even play this past year and still is you know, a top projected top five pick, or you have Joe Burrow's old teammate at LSU and Jamar Chase. And so that's basically, in Cincinnati, that's basically the debate. Is your team Jamar, your team Sewell. Well, Kyle Pitts. Um, and Kyle, I, I would say Kyle Pitts, there's three, I'd say Kyle Pitts is definitely the third option there. And again, I don't think there's a, you can't lose with any of those. They're all three good options. Um, but I, I do think that it's going to come down between Sewell and Jamar Chase with Kyle Pitts just being um, another, uh, kind of like the third option. And maybe even the Falcons taking them at four and the Bengals don't even have the option. Um, but long story short, I, you can't not take an offensive lineman. I mean, the Bengals just released their new uniforms. They're all over social media. And there's this this picture of Joe Burry sitting in like um, like a, like a, like a king's chair. And he's you know, he's got his knee right there. And you can see he's got like a six, seven-inch scar down his left knee. And if, if anybody's looking at that scar and they remember how terrible it was when he was having this awesome year last year and he goes down, I don't know how the Bengals can possibly look at this picture, look at this seven-inch scar on Joe Burrow's left knee, and not say yeah, let's take this offensive lineman. I just don't know how you can look at that scar and be reminded of how bad the offensive line was last year and not decide to, to protect your, your, your franchise player, your franchise quarterback. So they got to take the offensive lineman. I'm Team Sewell all the way. I have no secret. I've said many, many times that if offensive line is not the most important position on the field, it's the second most important position on the field, and they're protecting the most important position on the field in quarterback. So you've got to take Sewell offensive lineman. I get it, Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow, LSU connection. Um, I do think that's a little bit of over, over an overrated thing. It'd be cool that you know they're re- reunited again, but I think Joe Burrow could have a great relationship with any wide receiver they were to, they were to take. So you, I, if if I'm the Bengals general manager at this point, I'm taking Penny Sewell at number five. I mean, you just got to. I really don't think that they should even consider Jamar Chase. I wouldn't hate it, but I do think that it should be Penny Sewell, and I, I strongly believe in that. So. I, I want to make one quick comment on that, then Trevor, I'm going to throw it over to you, and I want to hear about the Bucks and Tom Brady and everything. There's two things I think the Bengals should do. If four quarterbacks go, one through four, which there's definitely a possibility no, definitely that a possibility. happening. Yeah. I think they should trade back to seven. Okay. I've heard that, Let the yes. Broncos come up, get that last quarterback, and they can choose whichever one of those three guys comes to them. It, it doesn't matter which one, and if somehow two of them get to them and Trey Lance gets picked along with Fields, Mac Jones... Zach Wilson and uh, Trevor Lawrence, then they get their pick of whichever two. Because I don't think they can go wrong. I agree the tackle from Oregon is probably the best choice. That scar in that photo, it, it, it hurts me looking at it. And they got to protect Joe Burrow. I would take him number one. But to me, there's not a vast enough difference where I think trading down those two spots, they could get a lot of draft capital for that. I mean, the number five pick is going to be highly coveted mm-hmm. if four quarterbacks go right in order, which I really think is possible. I think there's a good chance of that happening. Four quarterbacks go, you trade back to seven or eight, you get your choice of still the three players that you would have thought about at five. Um, I guess you don't have quite as much of a choice because most likely one or two 
uh, will go before them. But I think that'd be a really, really solid idea for the Bengals. Trevor, let's throw it over to you. What do you want to happen with the Bucks? They got the last pick in the in the, the first round, right? Or do, do they yeah, so I, I got to start with the Patriots. The Patriots, they are my team. Okay, now, I, guess, I, I forgot. You kind of like the Patriots, I guess. So, <laughs> no, I do. They're my favorite team. It's a very complicated uh, situation, you know, obviously. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. It's a very complicated situation. You don't have to understand. Um, but the Patriots, so I think it's really interesting. You know, the Patriots, obviously, they have a, you know, a history with Belichick of trading down. They trade down in the past so often, and as Patriots fans, we're like, no, like, we usually, like, in the past, I've, like, found a guy who I've, like, really liked. Um, you know, I, I know a couple years ago, it was, like, Hollywood Brown, and then he, with, obviously, the Ravens now, he hasn't actually had the best you couple years, him. but I really liked him. <laughs> you can it's have just him. a random example. I actually liked Lamar as well when he was coming out. I was like, he'd be a good backup for Tom Brady. I think he'd be awesome. Obviously, Lamar is way better than a backup. He's He's been awesome. Um, but for the Patriots yeah. this year... Different, completely different play styles between Tom Brady and Yes, Lamar, but I wanted him. I thought he would be, especially like in the late 20s, I, I thought he was going to be really good. So I wanted him. Um, but, you know, with the Patriots this year, I think that there's two options. Number one, we can try to trade up, which is very uncharacteristic, something they usually don't do, and get Justin Fields if... He slips. Now, we don't know exactly what's going to happen. We don't know uh, who the 49ers will take at three. I think a lot of the rumors are Mac Jones, but we don't know for sure. But if Justin Fields does slip to, say, pick seven, pick eight, something like that, I think that puts the Patriots more in play to trade up um, and potentially get Justin Fields. And I, I, I don't want to do that for any other quarterback. I don't want to sit there and, you know, if Trey Lance falls, take him. I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't want to take Mac Jones. If we can't get Justin Fields, I would prefer to take a wide receiver because with Edelman now retiring, um, and really it was already a bad situation, the receiver situation in New England is very dire. Uh, We have one of the worst receiving cores in the NFL, so I would prefer that we take a receiver if we can't get Fields. Now, the question is, there's three really good receivers. Um, The ones that stand out most to me, obviously, are Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddell, and Devontae Smith. If any one of those three guys falls to the Patriots, I'm cool with taking them. Now, Jamar Chase and Devontae Smith probably won't, but Waddell might. So if if Jalen Waddell does, that's that's who I want for sure. Um, But if any one of those three receivers falls, then I want him. If we can't get any of those guys... Then uh, you know it's it's a little bit of a touch, tough situation. I don't think I was prepared for a third option. So hopefully one of those guys falls. Um. So, you know we get we get over to my Ravens. Okay, we just saw a big trade for Orlando Brown, and I've had a lot of people asking my thoughts on this trade. Um. I I wouldn't say dealing uh, one of your best players to the Chiefs was like the greatest idea. You know, it's like kind of their direct competition in the AFC. Um, a team that they haven't been able to get by. I love Orlando Brown. I think he's such a great player. He wanted out, so you got to give him up some way, or you play him one last year and you hope you win the Super Bowl this year with him. And maybe you convince him to stay. It doesn't seem like he was he was ever going to be convinced to stay. They got great value out of him. CBS rated the 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 trade for the Ravens as an A plus for the Chiefs. I think it was like a B plus maybe or a B minus. Um, I'll go back through and look. It was a B plus. I think they got good value out of it, too. The Ravens now have two first-round picks because of this. You know, for what they got, it was nice to get, you know, the value, but at the same time, I didn't really want to give up Orlando Brown. And the Ravens really should be targeting three possessions. They need offensive line help, they need defensive line help, and they need a receiver. Now, I hate drafting receivers in the first round. 
very rarely do I feel like there's just such a great receiver. Same thing as like running backs. If you look at the okay, like the past ten years of the first round running backs, we've had three or four that have been excellent, and the rest have been pretty much terrible. You know, we we we've had successes: Christian McCaffrey, Saquon Barkley. Uh, but we, we've had an enormous amount that have not been close to that. I mean, Leonard Fournette has not been close to that at all. He had one good year, and that was it. I'm very nervous to draft a receiver in the first round. I know a lot of Ravens Nation wants a receiver. I would be much happier getting that offensive lineman and that defensive lineman here, whether that's uh, Alex Leatherwood or Creed Humphrey uh, on the offensive line from uh, Alabama and Oakland, respectively. Um, or... You know, you go to the defensive side. We have the the defensive lineman from Georgia, who I'm not going to butcher his name. I'm not even going to try to butcher his name. Um, and, you know, we, we have some other players uh, that would be really, really good options. Um, and then for receiver, if Terrence Marshall is there from LSU, it's going to be tough to say no to that. I don't think he's going to get there, but if he's there, it's going to be really, really hard to say no. So in terms of the Ravens, it's, it's just... It, I'm interested to see what they do. I feel like most years I'm like, oh, I really you know, want this player. I'm, I'm not in that position right now. I don't know who the Ravens should get or who they think is best, but I know that they typically make very smart decisions, and I'm excited to see who that decision will be. So let's move on a little bit here. I, I think we have another interesting discussion, and that is quarterback. Uh, we got a lot of good quarterbacks. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Justin Fields, Trey uh, Lance. We have um, uh, uh, the Alabama quarterback. I'm Mac Jones. Name. Jones. Someone help me out. Mac Jones. Thank you. I was thinking Alex Jones. Mac Jones. <laughs> um, so we got a lot of good quarterback options that seem to go in the first round. Typically four or five would go in the first round. So Trevor, I'm gonna throw this back to you. Who do you like? Who do you not like? Let's let's rank those five guys for me, if if you will. Yeah, and one quick point that I forgot to mention when I was talking about the Patriots is that there's a certain free mm-hmm. agent, if we can't get Justin Fields, that I would love for the Patriots to go after, and that's Gardner Minshew. Um, we haven't been hearing a lot about him, uh, but I know Bill Simmons mentioned it on his podcast. That's like a potential guy they can go after. Um, so I potentially would like to see that. But now back to the quarterbacks. It's really interesting because... You know, from what I've been seeing in the college football season, I thought, like, Lawrence is one, Fields is two, and we've talked about that. We've, you know, talked about how, why is Fields falling, potentially, if he is. We, we don't know for sure if he is. But, like, why is it that Wilson's ahead of him? Why why do some teams think that Mac Jones might be better than him? It's kind of strange. Um, if I were to rank them, to me, Lawrence, he, he's the number one guy, right? Everyone pretty much agrees on that. Um, although you do have some people who think Zach Wilson, you have – a couple people, Brandon might be one of them, that thinks Justin Fields is number one. I think it's Lawrence, though. I mean, he's been consistent for three years. He's been really good. I mean, from his freshman year, playing a national championship game on the biggest stage against Alabama, he was just sensational, and it really hasn't stopped um, at all. He's been awesome. And I think, you know, you know he's mobile. He's very accurate. Um, you know, he, he can just, he, as the phrase that they say, like throwing off, off platform, he can make some crazy throws. He's, he's very well-rounded, and he's the number one guy for me. Number two, now, I didn't know a lot about Zach Wilson before this past, like, week or two, as far as, like, watching clips, watching highlights. I went into a little bit of a deep dive and watched a lot of Zach Wilson, especially yesterday, and I see, I see why people love him, because just some of the insane stuff that he does, I know some people are comparing him to Patrick Mahomes, um, you know, like he'll, he'll scramble out. He'll just make these insane throws off his back foot or his feet won't be set. He'll do these sidearms, you know, some of the Mahomes stuff that you see. And it's just insane. It looks like, uh, insane talent that you don't rarely see. So I think, 
you know, the highs with Zach Wilson are very interesting, and he's a very exciting player. So I get the, I get all the love for it, and I see it. Um, and there is a case for him to be number two. However, I still think Fields is the second best, just because I've seen it so much more often. You know, like I've seen it for years at Ohio State. Now, you know, Zach Wilson last year, yes, he had. 33 touch, I believe, 33 touchdowns, three interceptions this year. Last year, he had 11 touchdowns, nine interceptions. And also, his competition isn't nearly as good as Justin Fields is. So that just makes me more hesitant about Wilson. Uh, for the last two guys, I think Lance is fourth and Mac Jones is fifth. Uh, uh, Lance, obviously, very mobile quarterback, uh, very talented, athletic. Um, competition level, obviously, a little concern there, but we've seen success stories in the past. And then Mac Jones, to me... It's just hard to believe in Alabama quarterbacks, and that's kind of what it comes down to. He is a very accurate quarterback, but I've seen other things that you know are, are a little more concerning. So he's he would be number five for me, and to be honest, I don't even know if he might not even be number five. It's kind of like you look at Kyle Trask, you look at Davis Mills, Kellen Mond, some of these other guys actually also might be better than him. So I, I feel like I have pretty strong feelings on this. I love Trevor Lawrence. He should be the number one pick. I'm not going to dispute that. However, the Justin Fields has not been talked about enough at all. I have talked about this. I think Trevor Lawrence is the most ready quarterback right now. He's one of the most for sure picks, 100%. To me, I think Justin Fields has a higher ceiling. What they're coming out as, how good they are coming out in their career trajectory, maybe Trevor Lawrence looks better. I understand that. And I, I, I get what people say. I'm saying I think Justin Fields has the potential to be the best quarterback in this draft. For that reason, I'm putting him at number two. Zach Wilson, I think, is a, is a close third. I like Zach Wilson a lot. Um, he's not small at all, 6'3", 210, um, and he can move. You know, he has the, the athletic ability. Now, I don't know why people are always saying that about him and not Justin Fields, considering Justin Fields, in my opinion, is faster. I don't know what their four times were, and he weighs 20 pounds more, and they're the same height. I'm still taking Justin Fields over him for sure. Now, we go to the debate between Trey Lance and uh, Mac Jones. I think there's more of a debate. Mac Jones is a lot more like Tom Brady, Phillip Rivers. Uh, Trey Lance is much more mobile, but way less experience. Um, you know, he's, he's you don't really know with him. He's a little bit more of a shot in the dark. A lot more like Drew Locke, in my opinion, uh, type player. So it's, it, it's tough to say who I'd pick in front. For me, Trey Lance, you're drafting a whole hell of a ton on potential. Mac Jones, you've, you've seen what he can do at, at this past level, um, and I, I think it's tough. I think I'd take Trey Lance by a hair, but honestly, both these guys to me are, are low-end first-round picks. They, I wouldn't take either one of them in the first round. I'd be nervous, or the uh, top ten, I'd be nervous to do it. I wouldn't take either of them um, that high at all. Ben, final thoughts on the quarterbacks uh, before we kind of get into the final couple subjects of, of the draft. Yeah, I don't have a whole lot to add. Again, you guys know more about these quarterbacks than I do. I'm sure you guys have done more research than I have. Um, top three, I agree with you. I, Trevor Lawrence, number one, no secret about that. Justin Fields, I'd, I'd put at number two. And Zach Wilson, I'd put at three. I will say, it, if it's if I'm looking at you know Mac Jones and I'm looking at Trey Lance, I, I think I would give the edge to Mac Jones. Um, and the reason I, why I would do that, and I said the same thing about Joe Burrow a year ago, why Joe Burrow is so great. Mac Jones has phenomenal accuracy, and Brandon, you made comparisons like Tom Brady, like Phillip Rivers, not super mobile, not super athletic, but they can stand in the pocket and they can deliver super accurate passes, and that is so important in the NFL. You have to be able to put the ball exactly where that receiver needs to catch it to where the defender can't. Um, and I get it, Mac Jones, you know, he had this historically great season, historically great accuracy and efficiency at Alabama, and they have phenomenal wide receivers. They have a phenomenal offensive line. I get it. And Trevor, you made a good point. It's hard to trust 
Alabama quarterbacks, and history says that Mac Jones should be no different. It, it be, should be hard to trust him because of the teams that he was surrounded with. But I, I just have to give the edge to Mac Jones, and maybe part of that is I just don't know a whole lot about Trey Lance. Um, again, nothing but honesty here on the Small Baller Podcast. I, I haven't watched the Duke play. I mean, I've watched some highlights of him, but I haven't watched a game that, that he's played. So I, I just I would have to give the edge to, to Mac Jones just based on, one, his accuracy, like I said, and two, his, his football IQ is through the roof. I, I've heard interviews with coaches, and clearly um, Kyle Shanahan with the 49ers likes a lot of things about Mac Jones. And one thing I heard him talk about is his IQ and how smart he is and how much he understands defenses and how much he understands what – consists in what is required of a quarterback in the NFL. And obviously, probably a lot of that is learning from the coaching staff at Alabama and Nick Saban. But I, I would just have to give the edge to Mac Jones if we're talking Mac Jones and Trey Lance in that debate. You guys gave it to Trey mm-hmm. Lance. I Just just to be different, I, I would have to give it to Mac Jones, and those are some of the reasons why I would say that. Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I get what you're saying, 100%. Uh, Trevor, any, I know we had a couple more things, so we're going really long on this podcast here. Is there anything else you wanted to, to mention? I, I have one thing I want to mention before we do that. Is there anything else you wanted to bring up topics to talk about before we kind of wrap up? Today? Yeah, I guess just like a couple players like Kyle Pitts. Obviously, you know, he seems like he's going to like a great specimen. Yeah, like he seems like I mean, he's going to be great. I know there's like t- technically no sure things, but he seems like kind of a sure thing. Like he I think is going to be yeah. amazing and whatever team gets him, it's going to be very lucky. Uh, I'm trying to think anyone I, else. I, I feel like I feel like every year there's like one player who is going to be drafted in the top five, and it's always right behind all the quarterbacks that go, like, the three or four picks. Like, every year, like, uh, Joey Bosa was like that, where I'm... Or, excuse me, Nick Bosa, where I'm like, whoever gets Nick... Like, like we know. Yeah. Like, we know he's going to be great. Jalen Ramsey, another guy like that, where I, I'm just like... Like, I wanted the Ravens to get him so badly. I was like, I mean, this man's going to be great. Uh, we saw Saquon Barkley was kind of like that, just like these sure thing type picks. Kyle Pitts feels like this. I mean, he's huge. The 246, like, he runs... 6'6", six, six, he runs like a receiver. I mean, he he didn't drop the ball once. Every time, it was like every uh, time they were like in, in in the red zone, the ball was targeted. I mean, he never dropped the ball. He was like within four yards of separation from the next play. I mean, it's just crazy stats about him. He just seems like a sure thing. Yeah, and then I just one other guy I want to mention, just because I'm, I'm a big fan of his, and that's Trey Sermon at Ohio State. I see here, I'm looking at mm-hmm. a CBS Sports uh, mock draft and draft board, and he, according to them, at least, is the seventh best running back. I think that's crazy. Uh, he's 113 overall. If the Buccaneers happen to be able to get Trey Sermon in like the early third or like the third round, maybe even late second, I, I think they should take Trey Sermon because I, I just love him. I think he's at least the third best running back in this draft class. So I, I the thing I wanted to mention, this is the last thing I want to mention, but Ben, is there anything you want to mention before I mention this? I want, I want this on record, what I'm about to say. I think you already know what I'm going to say, Ben. I probably do, and I, I don't have a whole lot to say again. Like, I love, I like the NFL draft. I, I probably wouldn't say I love it nearly as much as you do, Brandon, so I will go ahead and I will yield the floor to you. I will let you go ahead and, and give your thoughts on, on Thank you. On this I appreciate draft. that. Yes. Um, so there's one player in this draft who I don't understand how he is rated where he is, and he's rated pretty high. You know, it's not that low at all uh, where he's rated. I want to find him on, on this mock draft here. Let's do a little type. All right, he's 35 on the CBS mock draft, and that is Najee Harris. When Najee yeah, Harris came yeah. out of high school, I absolutely loved him. His decision came down between Michigan and Alabama. I wanted to go to Michigan so badly. He went to Alabama. After one year, he thought about transferring to Michigan, decided to stay at Alabama. And I genuinely believe whoever gets him is getting an absolute stud. Najee Harris is going to be amazing. Mm-hmm. So, so good. Um, and I... I just think, uh, to me, that seems like the type of player the Bucks are going to take with their pick is Najee Harris. 
uh, at 32 or whatever I'd, I'd be very open to that. <laughs> uh, Najee Harris is fabulous. He, he will be a running back in the league for a very long time. But I think we'll wrap up the podcast here for today. Uh, we got our, our special interview in call-in with Josh. Uh, go check out his podcast, the 12th Row Podcast, uh, brought to you by the Small Ballers, of course. Um, subscribe to our podcast if you enjoy this. Leave that five-star review if you uh, like this episode. Of course, go follow our Twitter at the Small Baller. Um, but we appreciate all the support you guys have given us, and we'll see you guys next time. Go Falcons!